0: Welcome to The Failsafe, a podcast about writing and failure. Thanks, Portsmouth Symphonia. Really beautiful, as always. So hi everyone. Welcome to episode two of the failsafe. Today we're going to listen as draft editor Mark Palanzak talks to Chris Boucher who contributed to draft issue six. We featured his story called Troutheart, which is an homage to Richard Brodigan and is included in an anthology celebrating Brodigan. This story went through more than 30 versions, if I'm remembering correctly, it went through 38 drafts before it was finished. For a detailed look at how Chris wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote Troutheart, you can check out Draft Journal issue six, now available on the website at draftjournal.com. And as ever, just a reminder that this podcast is a collaboration between Draft, the Journal of Process, and the amazing Iowa Writers House, a community literary organization in Iowa City. Find them and all the wonderful things they're doing online at iowawritershouse.org. So Chris Boucher, just to give you a little background, he teaches literature, creative writing, for sure, writing in the English department at Boston College. He is author of two novels, both from Melville House Press, the first, How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive, and the more recent, Golden Delicious, which also happens to be sitting on my nightstand right at this very moment. And I'm incredibly excited to open that and see what's inside. It looks amazing. So if you get a chance, you should check that out too. Okay, so let me just set the stage for this interview using the details that Mark gave me. So Mark went to Chris's office at Boston College. It was January, it was cold and snowy. He happened upon Chris, just as Chris was photocopying a Stuart Dybeck story for his class. He just caught him right in the middle of the glamorous academic life at the photocopier. And they sat down in Chris's office and talked about failure and you get to hear it right now
1: Okay, Chris Boucher You're super successful You're an amazing writer. I love your stuff um, And I know that you have this really rigorous process Along the way I Bet you have failed and I want to hear What it's like and there's something assumed in this question I want to know what it's like to contend and deal with daily failure.
2: Daily failure. Okay, well, so I'll tell you. You can steer me back on the path if I'm not answering the question correctly. Um, because I think at one point we, uh, we talked about like a failed project or something like that or the idea. So I I don't have a failed novel per se, but I will say that um, with my first novel, it took me 10 years to write. And so... If there wasn't daily failure there was almost daily failure for a long time you know so that's this was my thesis at Syracuse and it started off with this uh, sort of flurry of ideas and vignettes and I worked on it for about a year and a half two years there and if you had seen me there walking through Syracuse you know getting my MFA at the end of that time and you'd said, how's that novel? I would have said, "Eh, it's almost done. It's pretty much there, you know? (laughs) And it was another eight years before it was published. Most of that time was working on it. So, I overwrote. I mean, I would say I wrote um, without sort of exaggerating at least twice what went into the book, you know? I still didn't have a plot two years in. For example, I thought it was going to be sort of an experimental kind of, you know, like a book without a plot,
1: do you see that as a failure at that stage? Um, Does it need one?
2: I think I was I was even before the stage of of admitting failure. I was thinking, I'm not even going to worry about plot. It's just gonna it's just going to be these vignettes and they're going to connect and and they'll connect in interesting ways. But then um, I had sort of the privilege of being able to show it to a number of people, and a fair amount of people said, 75 pages in, I don't know what this thing is about. And then, I, and so then, I thought, okay, well, and you it were a plot. like,
1: exactly, that's what I want. That's what I want, right? I want confusion. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, I set to work trying to write a plot, and I told a good friend of mine at the time, "I'm going to send you the plot of my book." And my friend wasn't asking, you know, but I said, "That's okay, I'm going to send you the plot." And I, and so I, I started the story, and I started it like a, a letter, and the letter began, "I can tell you the plot." Of how to keep your Volkswagen alive in one story—a story I'll call "Da Da Da Da,", da. and I can—and I started every draft with that same sentence, and I just sort of hammered away and hammered away and hammered away at this plot line, you know, in this in the form of this letter, and it took months, um, and and it wasn't right, and I went back to the drawing board, and so it was this sort of like it was literally a wheel of repetition, you know, usually if I'm caught in repeated failure, it is um, retyping things over and over and over again, looking for a window, right? Looking for a way out, looking for some sort of uh, light, you know, something that I think I can run with or do something with, or that's gonna give me a sense for the piece as a whole. I struggle, I think, with the concept of failure because I think it's so built into the process that I think it's maybe sort of the default, right? The default is, oh, this idea doesn't work. Okay, what's the next idea? And it's almost like the the there is so much there are so many of those dead ends, so many of those false starts that I almost at this point consider that part of the game, you know, part of the part of the the practice. The the way that I can multiply the failure is by reading too much into it, right? By thinking that the failure happens because of ABC. Failure happens because I'm not reading enough, or the failure happens because um, I'm repeating myself, or the failure happens because of this, and that when really I think the idea is you fail on days so you succeed on, uh, on others. Some days it feels like you just can't, cannot get going, and you need those days, and somehow you know, mystery of all mysteries they feed those days where it seems like you could go forever. So I think that it's part of a balancing act but boy there's it's you know it's one that that takes up takes up a lot of my time with this story the story that's in draft trout heart it was all failure you know for for weeks and weeks and weeks i was just i you know the drafts that are in there it's fun to look back at them at the time though they were all things that i couldn't get going you know and so the process was just to not try to think too much about that and to just keep pushing until i found a way forward
1: well i'm glad you did it's a great story. Thanks. So that those little failures went up being a big success, and that's in the process of writing it. What about the big bad other side of all of this? Uh, we can we can fail and figure our way through our stories, and we work on them. Um, and when we when we finally have in our head satisfied the uh, pursuit of the story, and it's written itself, and its DNA is now sequenced properly. Then we have the publishing world. Mm. We have literary journals, magazines, we have agents, we have publishers, we have a, you know, we work on this book, and you said it was 10 years. You were working on a, on a, how to keep your Volkswagen alive. How do you contend with the publishing world? And you've had some successes, and I wonder, like, do you worry about failure when it comes to that? Is it, is it over once the book is completed for you and that's satisfying? or do you hold out some hope or do you have some fear about what happens once it's out in the world
2: yeah really good question um i do so it's complicated for me because you know the volkswagen book which is a book in which uh, the main character has a son who's a volkswagen i remember saying it one once on a panel that for a long time i really thought the book was not publishable you know maybe seven years in i thought just I think the problem is this thing is just not going to go. It's just not going to go, you know. But I was so invested in it, so personally invested in it. I was, you know, one of the sort of points that I was writing through was my own dad's heart attack. You know, he survived, but it was it became part of the plot, and it was a project that I needed to finish. But for a while, I um, I had this this piece of paper in my on my office door or on my office wall, and it said, "Do you love it?" And that's all it said and that was because i thought to myself at the end of the day all i can control all i can do is write something that i love and that's got to be worth something you know if it's not publishable i want to walk away from this project saying i gave it all i had and move on to the next one you know so that that sounds great that's pretty idealistic Um, i try to sort of live in that space mentally you know of of risking, I would think, I would would say is a fair amount by writing stuff that's pretty edgy, by writing stuff that is not, you know, your mainstream story. I think I'm sort of creatively excited by the idea that I'm pushing the reader into new territory. And yet I think part of that excitement is the fact that some readers won't go there. You know, maybe a lot of readers won't go there. And I do worry about that. You know, but um, I think that worry has to be part of it. I think, for me, that sort of anxiety, there has to be something at risk. Um, I tell my students, and I tell, when I speak to, to writers and conferences, I tell them that, as wearing the hat of the managing editor of Post Road, I tell them, you're ready to send out a story when it's bulletproof, right? Which is to say, it's not moving, right? It's not changing. If the journal rejects it, if the publisher rejects it, well, then they missed, you know. And and editors and publishers miss all the time. So, again, that's idealistic. I think that that worrying about it is natural, you know. I would really like to continue writing, and in order to continue writing, I need to, I need to be publishing. I need to get work out there. I consider myself very lucky to have had, you know, the success that I've had to to have published the Volkswagen book, to have another book on the way. I I think that that worry is something that I'll always sort of have. And that I maybe I've sort of in my mental equation it's, it drives the work, but it's really difficult. It's I mean that that idea of failure I think is the thing that gets me up in the morning. You know, it's the thing that makes me think I've lost my ability to write a story, and or you know no one's going to read this, or it's terrible, or uh, you know I'll never get published again. Or I think those things are just I think those that panic is just what gets me sitting down and and writing.
1: That's interesting because a lot of people would have those same exact thoughts and it would drive them away from the from the writer's desk. You know, this isn't going to work. No one's going to... And then they would just walk away. That, that, that huge fear of failure. And you're saying it gets you to your f- waking up at 4.15 a.m. sitting down to work on the story. That's interesting. What is the success for... A short story that you have, because it's so hard to see this sometimes that you you work on the story, you get it to your bu- bulletproof uh, stage, and then you send it out. It gets accepted at a magazine, and it's hard to gauge what happens after that. Mm. Or do you ever get to hear back or do you have any sort of assessment for what what are, what is your audience thinking? because we we have all these thoughts all the time, and then we have very little contact actually with the audience.
2: right, right. That's a really strange dynamic, right? The dynamic with the readership, because the readership, the the reader brings all sorts of different things to the to the table, some of which you might have been envisioning, and some of which you, you hadn't, you know. So the Volkswagen was trial by fire that way, because it had the title of another book, and a lot of people who came to it came to it thinking they were getting another book. Um, so some people were expecting sort of edgy experimental fiction, and some people were expecting a manual about how to fix their car.
1: I gotta say, my fa- I, I looked at your Amazon reviews. Oh yeah, my favorite book review of all time might be a book review for *How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive*, where someone says, "This book—I thought it was a manual for how to keep a, a car going." And at that point, the person should have put the book down. But the review goes on to say, like, and in around page two forty, the character <laughs> totally loses <me."> <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. Oh, that's like my mistake and read it <laughs> right.
2: I mean, it. it so, so that to me was maybe sort of a, you know, a wake up call to the fact that readers are coming from all different perspectives when they're when they're reading the work. I think that this is a really great privilege. I think being able to write, being able to to, to have life circumstances where you can sit down and write is a great privilege. Being able to have a reader, readers is a great privilege, and so I try to sort of remain sort of delighted at whatever the response is. You know, like I got, I have. Uh, a few readers that I heard from let's say on tour for that book I felt like they were right on you know like they were exactly what I intended Mm -hmm. some saw things that I hadn't intended and that was good too some saw things that I hadn't intended and they didn't they were not pleased you know like they were looking for you know repair instructions or they were looking for um, something that was a little bit more grounded and I I just sort of considered, I would say the measure of success for me was that I get some of that feedback which resonates with what I was going for. Uh, Which is to say that what carried me through the story carries a reader through the story. But I also think we don't always know what we're doing when we're writing. You know, We don't always know what it is we're making and so sometimes the really exciting thing about writing is you find out what you've done once you've done it. I try to stay sort of open-minded about that process because uh, because I think it's it is a process that is various and that's you know multifaceted that 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 readers can come to a story for any variety of reasons um, and then I just think the su- I think the success is that you 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 see some sort of parallel or some sort of lineage between what you were going for and what you got
1: uh, we started talking about failure and then wound up with success we did but um, that's how the process goes you know you fail before you succeed Um, so Chris Boucher thank you for talking with us about failure thanks very much
0: and there you have it folks thanks again for listening the fail safe is a joint effort of Draft the Journal of Process and the Iowa Writers House Draft Journal publishes first and final drafts of stories essays and poems along with author interviews about the creative process find us online at draftjournal.com the iowa writers house is a community literary organization based in iowa city that's dedicated to creating a space for education support and resources for writers find out more about them at org. thanks for listening that's it for this episode of the Failsafe. Find us at the failsafepodcast.com.